Welcome to the Disney View Podcast. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer. He's a one-time cast member, and he's been to Disney World literally hundreds of times. Listen in as he talks about one of his favorite things, the Walt Disney World Resort in Orlando, and occasionally beyond the Orlando theme park. And now, here's your host. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse alejado del David. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. On today's podcast, I wanted to talk about my magic some more. So I made a recent visit to the Walt Disney World Resort, and I spent a little time going in and out of the parks, and I have some recent experiences with the uh, my magic. So I wanted to share that with you a little bit. Now, you're, you'll hear more about my trip uh, on future podcasts. I got a lot of things that I did and a lot of things that I saw, and I'll be talking about that at length, I'm sure, over the next little while. So I hope you'll enjoy those uh, those podcasts as well. But in the meantime, what I really wanted to talk about today was my magic. So I went up to the world, and I actually uh, bought an annual pass. And in buying the annual pass, what they do, what they did this time was to give me the uh, the new plastic card with the RFID. They're still playtesting the uh, the wristbands. I actually only saw a few of them while I was around. Um, they don't have those available for general guests yet. Uh, it's only the, I think it's the Saratoga Springs Resort, I think or maybe it's old Key West, I'm not sure actually, but it's only one resort, and it's only for people who buy certain packages and travel during certain times and whatever, and they get the wristbands. Everyone else, they're um, doing these plastic cards. So I got the uh, plastic card, and uh, I went up to the uh, to the window, and I was talking to the uh, cast member who was there, and she was very nice, and she, um, she got me the card I wanted. Uh, she let me pick from the uh, assortment of cards they have. And uh, it's a little bit heavier plastic card than what we had in the past, uh, so re- more recently it was like a paper card. Uh, that you had, and now it's a it's kind of a heavier plastic card. So the heavier plastic is more like credit card size in terms of its weight and its um, the the style of the plastic. And uh, it's got uh, the picture of the uh, character on the front. There's obviously an RFID tag inside it that lets you do the uh, proximity detection. Uh, and then also there's some uh, codes on the back and a little a little uh, uh, scanner code that they can use to uh, to actually be able to. Uh, when they need to read it somewhere, if the if the scan if the RFID tag is not working for some reason, so anyway, uh, I got that, and uh, as soon as you get it, the first thing you do when you go up to the uh, first turnstile is you've got to uh, kind of activate it, so you put it through the machine, and uh, they're going to ask for a finger scan. Now, the first time I went through, I went through an old style turnstile, so I'm up at the old style turnstile. And I put my card in, it flashed with the finger thing, just like I'm used to doing. I put my finger on there, and uh, I was able to go in. Later, I had left the park and came back in. Uh, All the regular turnstiles were closed. So now only the My Magic ones were set up. Now, the My Magic ones are a little bit different. There's a little bit of a crowd there. It's still a little bit, uh, takes a little bit of work to get through there. And you'll hear more details about that on my podcasts uh, when I talk about being at the parks. But uh, you're there, and you're trying to uh, go through the turnstile. That's not a turnstile. It's just an open area, and you walk up, and it's set up so it's sort of V-shaped. And on each side of the V, there's two uh, little uh, uh, scanners. And so what you have to do, there's a cast member standing there just watching. You have to walk up to the scanner. You put, you touch your uh, your card to, that, to the uh, Mickey Mouse head that's there. So it's a little Mickey Mouse head, and it, there's a white light that circles around it, circles around it, circles around it while it's reading and, and checking the information. Then it comes back and fl- um, turns white and stays white. And the little finger reader turns white as well. And you put your finger on there, and if it reads it, it turns green, and they'll tell you to go ahead. 
So it's a similar technology, but there's no actual physical barrier. You just kind of walk in and you just put your finger on there and then you're able to go in. Now, people had issues with it and uh, the uh, cast members and the leads all have little iPhones that they're using to uh, verify the information that comes through. So they can verify um, that the pass is good, what the name is on the pass, and so forth right there on the iPhone. I took a look at one of the iPhones as I was walking past and was talking to the cast member for a moment, and it really it just says you know that, you, uh, that the last person to go through was good. So what happened was I was coming through one of the turnstiles. I was coming through one of the not turnstiles, I guess, and I was uh, walking, walking up, and the cast member lost their attention on me while they were dealing with another guest who was having an issue, and I had scanned, and it went green, but then it turned off, right? So I w- started walking, and they looked down at their, iPad, their iPhone, and they said, oh, yeah, okay, I can see that it turned green for you before you walked through. You know, and they would have asked me to stop again if it hadn't for some reason. Um, so that was, a, you know, that was a, an interesting thing that was going on. I also had a problem at one point where the uh, scan didn't work, and uh, I had to go to the to the lead cast member who was uh, standing back a few feet, and they had uh, an iPad, and so uh, they had the iPad they were using, and they were able to tap, tap, tap on the screen and go through a couple of things and use the number. They scanned the number. They have a special reader that's attached to it, and they just um, uh, just scanned the uh, little code that's on the on the card. And then that just brought up the information about it, and they tap, tap, tap to figure out who I was, and then just let me go. So it's an interesting little piece of technology. They partnered with Apple to uh, to make that that piece of it work. Um, there are obviously still still some bugs in the system as far as everything that it does. Overall, it seems like it's pretty good. But here's where I turn around to um, slight privacy concerns. And the interesting thing was, you know. Back in the early days of the uh, finger scanner, it was a biometric scan. All it was doing was taking some points around your finger to make sure the sa- to understand the shape of your finger. And uh, it would let you go based on the shape of your finger. Well, that's kind of changed a little bit. I was talking with a friend of mine, and he was telling me, you know, it's a fingerprint now. And I went, it's a fingerprint now? And I kind of did the skeptical look and had that moment of, no, it can't be a fingerprint now, can it? And so I, um, I did a little research when I got home. And I found out that it isn't, it is not actually a fingerprint. But it's also not actually a biometric scan. And in fact, Disney, in its patent applications uh, for this particular uh, technology, wasn't clear on what it was exactly. It was going to be a reader of the points on the finger to be able to make a positive identification. And what they do is, apparently, uh, they take 37 different readings around there. They do have a laser scan that goes along your finger. And it actually does read 37 different points, and then they identify it with by numbers. So those 37 points are given a number, and then those numbers will match up the next time that you put, fin- put your finger on there. They call it a geometric scan now instead of a biometric scan, and that's because they're taking these different points. And the subtlety in the name difference is really about using these points to have more of a fingerprint-related type item that they have. And again, it's not a fingerprint. It's really just a geometric scan, and Disney is very big on making sure that you understand that. Now, the question is, and Disney is very mum about what they do, but the question is, are they actually taking a fingerprint at that time when the laser is reading it? And the general belief is that they probably are. Uh, So they actually keep that finger information. Now, that's kept in a separate database than the 37 points that they keep, and then that's kept separate from everything else. So they say it's, you know, there's no privacy concerns. Well, you know, I, I have my doubts about that to a point. It's just interesting that they're capturing this information and then using it to be able to keep track of who's coming and going from the park. Now, Disney, for its part, says this is really for um, fraud prevention. You know, they're trying to make sure that whoever they sell the ticket to is the person who's using the ticket. And that makes perfectly good sense. It just seems a little 
maybe odd or awkward that they've got this method for keeping track of the, you know, who's using it that really is a database of fingerprints and identification information about everyone that comes in. So Disney, for its part, says that they don't use it for anything. And they do say that 30 days after that pass expires, they delete the fingerprints and the identifiers out of the system. And that's great. But for the time that the pass is active, it's still in the system and you still have a registered, essentially, fingerprint. Now, Disney says they will not turn this over to anybody. They won't use it for anything. But I have to believe that, you know, if law enforcement asks, say there was a crime committed somewhere in Disney property and they uh, had fingerprints, they might be able to use that to help identify who the person is, potentially, with the right legal uh, barriers in place, you know, having to get a, a subpoena or whatever. But it seems interesting to me that they have this ability to do something different that maybe you wouldn't think in that case. Um, so it just it was just interesting to me when I started thinking about the fact that they have this. There was also... And a couple of other interesting thing that hap- things that happened recently, Disney filed for a couple of other patents to use the fingerprint technology for other things, like, for example, on the uh, refillable mugs to potentially have you have to have a finger scan to be able to refill your mug uh, wherever you needed to use it. So if you were using a resort mug and you went up to a different resort and tried to refill it, it would tell you no because it would just shut the machine off because you didn't have the right fingerprint for that resort. So there's some interesting things that they could leverage and use this technology for potentially. No telling whether they will or won't, but uh, I just thought it was interesting that they kind of applied for some patents in this area, and uh, they have some, some interesting ideas on what they're thinking about doing. Now, what they do with it, who knows? But um, anyway, that, that just kind of struck me when I, when I saw that. Now, the other thing is that uh, the Walt Disney World Resort in particular has always had a special status. Because of the size of the resort and the number of people that come through there, uh, there's a lot of uh, special security that goes on. There is a former director from the FBI who's involved with the, um, with the security department. There are some other people who retire from other posts with large-scale operations who come to work for the Walt Disney Company and uh, work at Walt Disney World for, you know, effective means of making sure that, that people remain safe. So you have to figure that somewhere in there, some of this uh, technology with fingerprints and some of the other things then becomes part of their deterrent method, right? That's part of the, uh, the layers of security that you have. Sure, a bag check is nice, but it's ineffective to a large degree. But this is another level that you could add in there that uh, that allows you for a little bit of security. Look, Disney has a large um, operation there, and they want to make sure that it stays safe because it's profitable. And, you know, you're going to spend the money to make sure that it's safe to make sure that it stays profitable. Because as soon as there's a hint of or a whiff of a problem, that's when the uh, the profits start to plunge. And you don't want that to happen. So by continuing to run it this way you can potentially avoid it. And so in a very subtle way, Disney can kind of control who comes and goes from the park or at least know who's coming and going from the park uh, so that they uh, they kind of have some sense of um, what people are doing. So I find it kind of interesting, and I don't know where that's all going to go with the fingerprints and everything, but you know, from a privacy perspective, I think it's kind of interesting. You can opt out of the fingerprint if you want to. You can actually put your name on the back of the card, and you can show ID every time instead of having to do the finger scan. So if you really uh, do have the privacy concerns, you can do that instead if you like. Just giving you a little uh, little advice on this, you know, uh, generally what it's doing and what they're capturing and what they're using it for as far as I know. Again, nobody really knows exactly except for the people who are using it. Um, but uh, it's just an interesting little thing that, that Disney is doing.
Oh, and one more thing. This technology that Disney is using for the geometric scan is more advanced than pretty much any company might be using. It's about as advanced as the most sophisticated uh, security systems and uh, that the U.S. government might use for some of its secure facilities because you're using essentially a biometric or fingerprint scan in addition to having a, a card that you have to use to get into a, a facility. So you have to wonder if Disney is partnering with somebody, whether it's the government or a large corporation, to make this happen. Now, in the history of the Walt Disney Company, often they partner with large companies and have a sponsorship agreement where there's an influx of money to build something in order to improve the technology and move it along. Think about all the uh, companies you've heard about that come in and sponsor an attraction or sponsor the original uh, genesis for the attraction, and they plaster their name all over the uh, the attraction itself. So you'll see uh, IBM or Siemens or somebody with their name uh, emblazoned on the attraction. Now, in this case, clearly, there's no name associated with it. But that could be because they want to kind of keep it low-key and make sure that they get the technology back in return. So Disney partners with them to improve the technology and really prove it out in a large-scale environment. And the reason I mention this is because it's hard to fathom why Disney would create something this sophisticated to prevent ticket fraud without an ulterior motive. So you ha kind of have to believe that maybe there's something else going on here. Maybe they're partnering with a large company that's trying to use this as a proving ground. You never really know. But anyway, it was just a thought I had as I started to think about the technology a little bit more and the fact that Disney does have a long and rich history of partnering with companies using sponsorship as the primary model uh, to, uh, to accomplish an end goal. So the company gets something in return and Disney gets something as well. So you never know. This could have something to do with why they're doing what they're doing. So that's where that nets out. Now, as far as the rest of the MyMagic, now the cards themselves do have RFID tags in them, and according to the patent applications, they're both passive and active. And that would mean that um, in the passive mode, that's where you, you, know, you put it up at the scanner and it just, it just realizes that you're there. In the active mode, it's sending data back and forth. So uh, you have to be close to something in order to do it, hence how the uh, small world attraction works, where it recognizes whether it's your birthday and recognizes your name and can feed information back to you because there's a little bit of an active chip that's going on that's pulling data back and forth. It's sending data between the card and the, uh, the readers. Um, but it's a still a small distance that it's going over. It's not a large distance. The other thing that, uh, that becomes interesting is, uh, with the readers put around the park in different places, they can actually tell who's in the park and where they are, where are the biggest crowd levels, where, you know, where do we need to move people to, what could we do for it. So I think there's a lot of potential opportunity. I think I talked about this on a previous podcast, but there's a lot of opportunity to help people to move around the park and incentivize them to move around to different parts of the park in different order. So you come in the park and, you know, everybody goes right to left. So when you come in the Magic Kingdom, you're headed over to Tomorrowland and you're working your way around. But that means the crowd is over in Tomorrowland. Well, maybe they need to do something different over there. Or maybe they need to offer some special over on the other side of the park over by Splash Mountain to get people over there. Maybe they, you know, they offer a fast pass so if you'll go over there at a certain time early in the morning. Things like that where they could change the park flow a little bit after they understand uh, people's behavior a little bit more. The one thing that Disney has never really known, this has always been a gap, they can tell you exactly how many people come through the gate and tell you who those people are. And they can tell you um, how many people left, but they can't tell you who left. So, you know, I come through the gate at 9 o'clock in the morning, and then someone leaves at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Was that me? Was that not me? They don't know because you don't scan your ticket when you leave. But now, with these new RFID tags, 
then not only can they tell that I came in at 9 o'clock in the morning, they can also tell that I left at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. All they have to do is just read the card as they walk through, and they'll know that I left. Now they have some information about uh, guest behavior. Look, at an aggregate level, doesn't matter. So they know how many guests came and went. I don't think they care about specific guest behavior for the most part. I think they're really looking at the aggregate numbers where they can say, okay, you know, guests tend to come in here and then leave here and do this. Uh, I think they're also interested in kind of segmenting those guests to a degree. So if someone is a DVC member versus someone who's staying off property, what's the difference in park behavior? You know, is there a difference? Do they go back to the resort at some point during the day? Or do they just stay in the parks all day? Or what do they do? Um, you know, and I think there's some opportunities, too. If you see people go into a shop and they spend a lot of time in the shop, but they never made a purchase, using at least using that card, or they didn't come up to the register, because what they're trying to do is push people to use the RFID card, to do the purchases, and most of the registers now have that same little Mickey logo, and you can just put your card on it, and you put in your PIN, and you can make your purchase. Uh, if you do that, then they know that you made a purchase, and if you left the store without making the purchase, they also know that, right? So there's some information that they really have that really lets Disney get to the heart of what guest behavior looks like, and I think that's really the, the critical win for them is uh, what guest behavior looks like, because that's the piece that's long been missing. I don't think that's ever really been well thought out. To this point, I don't think Disney really cared, but now it's becoming important, especially with new technology and the ability to go around and see things. Look, I played around with the different apps they have available while I was in the parks, and they were they were good. And they, more park information becomes available as you uh, as you're in the parks because it unlocks certain features because you're there. And uh, you can see how they could really use that. I saw plenty of people with iPads, um, you know, and larger devices that they were carrying around. So you can really leverage that with people moving around the parks and try to get some information about what they're doing. So there's some interesting things you can do, and that's where I think there's uh, some benefit to Disney and really at no real risk to you as a consumer, as a guest. My personal thing is I don't like to have room charges anyway. It's just not the way I like to do business. I like to keep track of everything through a credit card It's just the, or pay cash. That's the way I prefer to do it. I don't like to have room charges add up and then just get my room bill and go, wait a minute, what was that, what was that, what was that? I like to keep track of everything as I go. So my personal preference is to go ahead and just um, do everything kind of separately that way. But I understand why people like to do it together, and that's cool. You know, if you like to do it together, um, you know, that's okay. Uh, I think Disney would prefer it that way. But for me, since I don't like to, since I don't like to combine everything together, I wouldn't use some of the point-of-sale terminals and some of the things they have. I'd really just use the park ticket as the primary thing. And that reminds me, they've also added, if you uh, get the dining plan, that's all included on your uh, on your park ticket as well. So uh, that's all uh, encoded on there, or it's in the computer system, and uh, when you go to uh, put the RFID tag on that, it recognizes it, and it'll deduct out your, uh, your meal plan vouchers and so forth. So you have all that information, and you can check all that online to see what's left and all of that stuff. So it's pretty clever. I mean, that part of it is pretty neat, that the technology exists to do those kinds of things. So my magic really do- has come a long way already. Um, I'm curious to see where they go with it, you know, as they continue to evolve it. Like I said, it had its little gaps and moments, and there were some things that worked well and some things that didn't work as well. But I think there's a a good opportunity there. Um, You know, I was interested, too. I went over and I played the the, uh, Pirates game, and I'll talk about that in a future podcast as well. Um, When I went over and did that, uh, the uh, token for that, the thing you use, is your theme park ticket. You don't have a special... uh, card or thing you need to use for it. You just use your theme park ticket, and you just walk around, and at various points, you put your theme park ticket on the uh, on the activities, and it will come back and tell you something. So there's 
some interesting uses for it. And with a plastic card, it's not a big deal. You know, unlike the paper card that might bend or fold or tear, or in some cases I've had this happen where it actually stuck to the uh, envelope it was in and tore a little bit. Um, that won't happen with these. You know, something could happen to them, but now you still have the RFID tag. Even if something gets scratched on the back or the magnetic stripe gets damaged in some way, they can still read the RFID tag. And they can still look you up, too. If you have your ID, you can just get another card if you lose it. So there's, a, again, another benefit for you as a, as a guest. So there you go. That's my take on the My Magic and what's, uh, what's happening there. Um, I think it's really pretty, um, pretty interesting. I know that people switching over from the paper passes to the plastic cards uh, from annual passes, so they already had their annual pass and they chose to do it. Uh, one thing is they've told me it takes a long time to do it. For some reason, there's a lot of um, system glitches and things that they have to do and a lot of hoops you have to jump through to get your uh, park uh, ticket converted, especially since they just raised the ticket price and a lot of people want to get it in now. Um, so it takes a little while to get it done. But it's, uh, you know, I think that a process will smooth out over time. It'll just take a little time to get there. So there you go. That's my, uh, that's my take on my magic and, and what it is and what it does right now. It will be interesting to see how it all develops over the next uh, few months to years to see how it all kind of plays out and what else they do with it. Um, I think there's some, uh, some intriguing possibilities there. Uh, to try and um, get people, you know, help people to get to where they need to go. Look, if the buses have the readers on them too, and they know that people are on a bus going somewhere, they can help redistribute bus traffic a little bit. Or if you're in the bus, you know, bus waiting area, right, and you're in the bus terminal six, and that one's going to the animal kingdom, and they know there's a lot of people waiting there, they need to send another bus. So there's a lot of potential upside to this, that uh, they could actually do something that could be useful and could really help the uh, guest experience to move along a little bit further. So I hope that gave you a little bit of insight into what the My Magic is all about and uh, kind of how it works. And uh, maybe it gives you a little uh, understanding of, uh, of what's going on there. So that's it for this week. Look forward to some new podcasts about uh, my trip. And uh, I hope you enjoy those as well. And remember, for now, if we can dream it, we really can do it. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View Podcast. Show notes can be found on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. Looking to do some travel planning? Want to find an authorized Disney vacation planner? You should visit Destinations in Florida. Original music you hear in this podcast is courtesy of Sound On Music. You can find his music at ReverbNation.com slash SoundA. Our thanks also go to Doug for his continued contributions to the show. You can find links to other great Disney podcasts, as well as the latest Twitter feed and the Disney Buzz on DisneyPodcast.net. And don't forget to check out Dave's iPhone apps. There's a Hidden Mickeys app for finding and sharing hidden Mickeys at all of the Disney parks around the world. There's also an app designed especially for pin traders. You can keep track of all your pins and your wish lists. Please be generous with your time or a donation to Autism Speaks. We do hope that you've enjoyed your visit and that you drive home safely. Show number 141. <laughs>